we are so lost in thought during the course of our day that we're not paying attention. So any time where we can pay attention to what we're doing in that moment is helping us become more mindful and more present because when our thoughts are drifting off to the past, we tend to get depressed. And when our thoughts are drifting into the future, we tend to get anxious. But if we are just in the present moment without the judgment and the resistance, we're just experiencing life. Today's episode is with Jody Barrett's, and it's all about mindfulness. And just before you listen, I have to say I had some aha moments here talking to Jody about the power of being present in our lives and what mindfulness really means when we're talking about its applicability. This is a great conversation with some gems towards the end of the podcast, so stick it out. Jodi is a mindfulness teacher. She's also a psychotherapist and an integrative health coach. She has brought so many different modes together into a really meaningful wisdom, I would say. She's also the author of a newly released book called Mindful is the New Skinny. And she talks about skinny being a metaphor for perfection, how so many of us are looking outside of ourselves when we need to turn the lens inward. This is so much more than a conversation about diet or food, but we do touch on that. And Jody has a cool freebie on her website if that's something that interests you with 10 reasons why you can't lose the excess weight. Now, if you want to learn more about Jodi and find out how you can also buy Mindful is the New Skinny, you can head to her website at jodibarretts.com. That's J-O-D-I-B-A-R-E-T-Z.com. See, I said Z because that's what New Zealanders say. If you're interested, I'm one of those people that says Z. Now, last week I mentioned that Marston Kipp was coming on the show. Seriously, he had a power cut. So he's still coming on the show, but you're just going to have to hang tight if he is someone that you know of. Fingers crossed he's all set for the next release slot. But without further ado, I want to bring this conversation to you with Jody, all about mindfulness and how we can be more present in our lives. Welcome to Here to Thrive. I'm your host, Kate Snowwise. This is a podcast for people who are ready to step up and live a happier life. It's for those of us who are dedicated to understanding ourselves and getting the best that we can out of this thing called life. It's a mix of psychology and modern spiritual thought, always with a focus on practical advice so that you can take it back and apply it to your own life. I don't believe we're here to merely survive. I truly believe we're here to thrive. So let's get going. Jodi, awesome to have you on Here to Thrive to talk about your new book, Mindful is the New Skinny. Thank you so much for having me here. I want to start right there. What is Mindful is the New Skinny all about? What does that title refer to? Well, Mindful is the New Skinny is all about nourishing the inside so you can flourish on the outside. And it's about really changing your mindset, dropping your stress, dropping the emotional weight so you can look and feel your best. Mindful is all about the internal and is in, and skinny is about the external and is out. So basically, skinny is a metaphor for perfection, in my opinion. And we all want the perfect life, the perfect body, the perfect image, the perfect family. And that really robs us of our joy and happiness. And quite frankly, it's unsustainable. So when we can turn inward and be more mindful and be aware and being okay with who we are, embracing our imperfections, we're just much more content and happy. So it's switching from the external to the internal. That totally makes sense to me. So this isn't a diet book. This isn't a get skinny quick solution. Not at 
all. No, it's just really about changing your mindset. I do have in the book two chapters on mindful eating, which is crucial. And I also talk about whole and healthy foods, but it's really not a get skinny quick. It's, it's dropping the excess weight that you have on you. It's not about being super, super thin, but we don't want to be overweight, unhealthy, and eating emotionally or stress eating. We want to be the weight our bodies are supposed to be and being content with who we are. I want to talk about that relationship you just kind of pointed at there between our emotions and our internal landscape and the weight that we do carry, the physical weight. Do you see a relationship, having been a psychotherapist for all these years and now a health coach as well, do you see a relationship between the internal thoughts and the external appearance of your clients? I mean, a hundred percent. I don't think you can really have one without the other. I mean, people who just, the clients that were coming into my office that were just focused on calorie restriction and diet, they found that it was not sustainable. They, you know, we all know that diets don't really work long-term, right? So they were depriving themselves of food. And then what would happen is they would go off their diet and then they would be overeating. And it was the cycle would come and go and come and go. And they were frustrated. And what happens when you fail at what you're doing, you become frustrated, you become stressed out. And we had to shift their entire mindset from being attached to the number on the scale and being skinny to really just nurturing yourself on the inside and eating healthy because you love yourself and your body and you respect yourself and you want to feel good. You want to only put good fuel into your body and you exercise because you want to be healthy, not because you're trying to lose a certain number of pounds, but it's the mindset of, where it's coming from. You know, I have to lose this weight and you're frustrated and constricted and angry. It's just, it doesn't work. You just have to go internally and do it because you want to be healthy for yourself. And that mindset shift really does help. And plus, if you have other stressful things going on in your life, you can't be eating broccoli and focusing so much on your food. You really have to deal with the emotional upset that might be causing you to eat or that might be stress keeps body fat on chronic stress. I should say chronic stress, the hormones and the cortisol and all of that stuff retains belly fat on your body. So it's a holistic mindset, body and mind. You can't just have one without the other. You were talking about, and something I read, you were talking about how this obsession with wanting to lose weight is really a symptom of other things. What is it a symptom of? Is it a symptom of unhappiness, wanting to control? What would you put that down to? It can be many things, but if you're constantly thinking about your weight and about what you're eating 24 hours a day, it's an avoidance of other things in your life that you may not want to face because you're focusing all your energy and thoughts there with a preoccupation with the external and perfection and judgment. And that's really a symptom of not fully enjoying and appreciating your life and who you already are. Mm. I feel like when we talk about it like this, it makes it sound so easy, right? Like shift, mm -hmm. shift it to that internal focus and really stop judging yourself on the external. But how do we get to that place of self-compassion? How can we be less harsh on ourselves, less judgmental and much more nurturing? Is it a process or is it something that you can shift quite quickly? Well, we have ingrained patterns in our thought process. You know, we think the same thoughts over and over again, and we've been programmed to beat ourselves up, that we're not good enough. So we really have to change the programming. And the way you can change the programming is by creating an awareness of the programming. If you don't even realize that you're doing it, there's no way that you can change anything. So the first thing is really an awareness of what's going on in your mind. And you can do that by mindfulness and meditation and slowing down, observing your thoughts and noticing without judgment what you're thinking. So you don't want to beat yourself up about the fact that you beat yourself up. 
because that would just be very, you know, contraindicated. But, <laughs> but don't, so, I feel like so many of us do that. We're right. starting to oh, like, no, I'm beating myself up again, you know? Yeah. So, don't beat yourself up. Oh my gosh, you're failing. You're beating yourself up. And, and you're right. I think it's such an unhealthy spiral to get into. Mm-hmm. So it's almost changing how we talk to ourselves. And it's very strange at first being kind to yourself but it makes a huge difference. And as I was writing this book, I had to find that compassion for myself because it was hard. And I found myself beating myself up all the time because when we're not mindful, we're on autopilot, all of our old programs, our default programming comes back. So it's a process every single day of noticing what you're thinking and slowly changing those default programs that are ingrained in us since forever and creating that awareness. And when we're sleeping on the job, when we're unconscious, when we're not paying attention, we can fall back into old patterns just like I did, just because I talk about this and I try to practice as as much as I can, but I even fell into my old programs during the process of writing the book. I noticed I was perfectionistic. I was judgmental. I became bookzilla during the process (laughs) of the book. (laughs) I so so want to talk more about you being bookzilla, but I do want to come back to that concept of mindfulness because I feel like we're talking about it, yet for so many people, it's probably still a little bit of a, a concept that is thrown around a lot, but not particularly well-defined or understood. How would you define mindfulness in the way that you're talking about it, Jodi? To me, mindfulness is basically paying attention to what's going on in the present moment, in your thoughts, with your thoughts, with your experiences, and paying attention to that without the judgment. So if we're paying attention to our thoughts, feelings, and sensations in our bodies without criticizing it, without trying to get rid of it, without resisting it, just being open to what is there and not wishing for it to change, that's really what mindfulness is, just a experience or an attitude for which we come at life with, which is life changing because we're always trying to do better, do more, do something differently. We like this. We don't like this. We're judgmental about certain things. And this is just an opening to whatever is happening in the moment because it's already happening. We may as well feel it or experience it and not resist it. Mm, not resist it. I always say to people, one of my little sayings, and I said it to my husband, I think sometime earlier this week, you know, the power of not fighting what is, it just is. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and some people say, well, that's so passive. You're not, you know, fighting for what you want or what you believe in, but it's not about being passive because these things that you're not fighting are already happening. So you might as well lean in to them. And then you can be clear enough because you're not been freaked out and stressed about everything that's happening and trying to resist it. You can move forward in a way that you want to show up in the world and in a way that you feel is right or do what you want to do. I feel like it's intimately tied to that concept of controlling what you can and surrendering to what you can't. A hundred percent. That serenity prayer. That I, I love that serenity prayer. It's so good. Mm-hmm. Coming back to how you found mindfulness, was it through psychotherapy or was it through life experience? What brought you on this journey? Wow. Okay. So my journey, I'm going to go back to... Please do. Um, I, Please do. <laughs> if that's okay. I'm going to go back to my childhood. So when I was a child, I was a horrible eater. My nickname was Junk Food Jody. And I basically would recycle food in my mouth when I was a baby, according to my mother, and just spit. I just rejected food all the time. Then I became a junk food eater, just wanting, you know, pizza, ice cream, hamburgers, Doritos, which is, you know, like a lot of kids, but I never sort of grew out of that. And into my mid 30s, I got a diagnosis of celiac disease, which is an autoimmune condition where the body rejects sweet and gluten. So I couldn't eat gluten 
for the rest of my life. Did you just and freak out at this in your mid thirties? You were just like, I just don't know how I can live this way. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was devastating for me. I mean, I know people go through horrible things. So to say I can't eat certain foods is, is, you know, I'm sensitive to that because people are going through horrible experiences, but you have to understand this was back. I don't want to date myself, but this was back in 2003 when nobody heard of gluten really. I mean, it's not like it is today. I didn't know what gluten was. I've never heard of celiac disease. And at that time it was basically one in 5,000 people had it or something and felt alone. I really did. There wasn't the support that there is now. So I would say that was the beginning of my journey to mindfulness because I had to be mindful of everything I put in my mouth. So I didn't realize it then, but that was mindfulness, right? When you have to pay attention to everything. So I started counseling people on gluten-free diets because I was a social worker and I wanted to restart my practice. I had taken some time off when my kids were little and I started counseling people on gluten-free diets. And then I realized I know nothing about nutrition. I am a former junk food eater and I was advising people on which were the best brands of gluten-free brownies and how to deal with this diagnosis from an emotional standpoint, but I really knew nothing about healthy nutrition. So I enrolled myself in the Institute for Integrative Nutrition and I learned about what's being put into our food, which was a, a rude awakening for me. I mean, now we're in 2010, probably. And all of the processed food and the organic stuff, that wasn't even well known as it is now. But we also talked about holistic health and that mind-body connection I was mentioning earlier and how you can't really have one without the other. And then I was introduced to spirituality there. Um, Deepak Chopra came to the school and, and spoke and I was riveted because growing up, I really had very little exposure to spirituality. Mm. And uh, we they handed us this exercise, the circle of life. And I was good on education and career and family, but I had zero on the spirituality scale and I wanted to learn more. And I heard about Hay House and I learned about Louise Hay and I learned about you know, mindfulness and meditation. And once I learned these concepts, they really blew me away because I, like I mentioned, I, I always thought obviously spirituality was woo woo and I, I wasn't exposed to it. So I had an initial resistance to it. And once I started learning these Buddhist concepts and studying more mindfulness and spirituality, I, it made my life so much more peaceful. I was able to let go of things that I was stuck on. I was able to realize that I wasn't in control of so many things. And that was so freeing for me. So it was that sort of how I stumbled into it. It's funny because the first experience I had with mindfulness and meditation I thought I was going to, you know, I'm a, I'm a social worker, so I wanted to integrate the mind and body. So I was going to go learn these stress reduction techniques and learn about mindfulness. So I went up to Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. I so want to get there. <laughs> uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful place. It really was. But I went by myself for a five-day retreat. I've never gone anywhere by myself on vacation or anything. So this was a big deal for me. And I was going to write down all of the great techniques I was going to get and bring back to my clients and help them with stress and, and all that kind of stuff. So what ended up happening was on the first day I got there, we meditated for 45 minutes and I'd never meditated before. Oh my so gosh. That must've been <laughs> such a shock to your system. So I'm sitting there for 45 minutes trying to meditate, not, not having any idea of what I was doing. And after the meditation, the instructor asked the crowd, so how was that for people? And everybody, you know, raised their hand and said, that was wonderful. And your voice was so soothing. And I feel so relaxed. And I'm looking at these people like, what is going on here? Who you know? Everyone drank the Kool Aid, and I must have missed it or something. And I, <laughs> I raised my hand and I said, and I got the microphone because it was a big room of 150 people, and I said, that was the most torture I've ever been through in my life, and I can't believe I signed up for five days of this. And 
I thought I was going to get kicked out, honestly. And, and you're probably half hoping you would, right? Just give <laughs> exactly. me my money back and like, send me home. <laughs> that's it for me. I'm out, you know? So the guy sitting next to me whispered in my ear and he's like, you're a rock star. And the instructor said, wow, well, how many other people are feeling that way? And literally a third of the room raised their hand. So I felt much better that I wasn't alone. I stuck it out for those five days. And what I, I really grasped the concept of what we were doing. I mean, when you don't know what you're doing, when you first start meditating, it's like, I heard uh, somebody say it's like being locked in a phone booth with a crazy person. You know, you're just kind of, your thoughts are just going, 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 and, and you're not really sure what, what to do with all of that. So after the five days, I mean, I got instruction learning that meditation is not blocking out thoughts. It's not trying to get rid of thoughts. It's not shutting off your mind. It's simply observing the thoughts and letting them come, letting them go, coming back to your breath using your breath as an anchor, and your mind is going to drift off. So I felt much better because then I was doing it right. <laughs> so your mind, <laughs> your mind does drift off every couple of seconds into thinking, but it's the, it's the point where you can actually wake up and notice that you're thinking and come back to the breath. That is the moment of mindfulness, and those are the reps that we do to build the muscle of mindfulness. So you have some thoughts and you come back to the breath and you have some thoughts and come back to the breath. And I compare it to my, my clients and my groups to physical exercise with being the reps. That's how you build the muscle. And at first it's very difficult because you don't have those muscles. So it can be really painful and it can be torturous, but eventually you settle in and you learn it gets more comfortable. But I still struggle with my meditation practice. I'm not going to lie. I still struggle with trying to find the time to do it. I still struggle with having some session, meditation sessions where I'm just in thought the whole time. And it's all okay. Why? Because we're being kind to ourselves and we're being compassionate to ourselves. And there are no, there is no bad meditation you are a rock star because I can wholeheartedly agree with that too. Some days I'll go into my meditation and I feel like my mind is full of fireworks and I'm not sure how many times I managed to actually catch myself stopping thought. And that's still after many years of coming, coming and going from my meditation practice, I should say. But then there are days where it feels much easier. And I, I really like the acknowledgement that meditation isn't always going to feel like a walk in the park. No. And, and people miss, have this misconception that it's always, it's supposed to be relaxing. It's really not intended. I mean, that's one of the side effects, but that's not what you're doing solely to relax. You're doing it to train your brain to become more mindful. It's a brain training exercise and it's not always relaxing. Sometimes clients ask me, can I do it before bed? And I said, well, it's an active exercise. So if you can sleep after that, great. I mean, certainly there are some meditations that are more calming than others. If you're doing a body scan, lying down, I mean, some meditations do lull you to sleep. And believe me on that retreat that I was on, people were snoring next to me. So they were falling asleep during the meditations all the time. But the reality is you want to be active. You want to be focused. You want to train your brain to become more focused on the present moment. How do you encourage your clients to start out with that, with, to start out with a meditation practice that will support them becoming more mindful in their waking hours? Well, it really depends on the person and their schedule and what their life is like. Some people tell me, I can't fit it in at all. We start with two minutes or with transition, going in and out of the car. Before you get out of the car, sit for two minutes and breathe. You know, I start small like that with some people. I even recorded a car meditation for somebody because they said they have no time with their job and their kids. So I recorded a meditation. Obviously, they're not going to be closing their eyes while they're driving, but they're paying attention to the road. They're paying attention to the the taillights in front of them. They're paying attention to the trees. They're paying attention to their hands on the wheel. And what does that feel like? So it was sort of an exercise to become more mindful when they had no time. You can really do it anywhere. You can do it in the car. You can do it while you're doing the dishes by paying attention to 
what you're doing in any given moment without judgment is mindfulness. So feeling the soap of the dishes, you can do it in the shower, feeling the water on your body. I mean, how many times have, I don't know about you, but I've done this many times where I've been in the shower and I forgot if I washed my hair. Oh, I, I did. <laughs> I, I, it's funny you say that, Jody, because I feel like at the start of the week I double shampooed my hair because I was so lost in my thoughts that I was so not in the moment. And I was right. like, did I shampoo? Did I not shampoo? Just to be safe, I'm going to shampoo again. <laughs> right. I do that constantly. And I wrote it. It's funny. I wrote a newsletter about that, about how I forgot to shampoo my hair and literally someone had written back to me that she thought she was getting early Alzheimer's or dementia because she could never remember that. And she felt so validated and so much better that I, I mentioned this because she thought she was losing her mind, literally. But we are so lost in thought during the course of our day that we're not paying attention. So any time where we can pay attention to what we're doing in that moment is helping us become more mindful and more present. Because when our thoughts are drifting off to the past, we tend to get depressed. And when our thoughts are drifting into the future, we tend to get anxious. But if we are just in the present moment without the judgment and the resistance, we're just experiencing life. We're paying attention. And we're going to have those memories. If you think back to your memories when you were younger or, you know, at a wedding or a party, the memories that you remember are when you were paying attention, not when you were lost in thought about something else. It was when you were fully present in the moment. And when we think about our children growing up so fast, and, and then we don't remember when they were little, it's because we're not paying attention. I mean, I have this moment that I write about in the book where I was watching my son just walk into his friend's house. I just sat in the car and watched him walk in and felt so grateful to have him and remembered him at this age. And, and I remember that moment like it was yesterday and it was years ago because I really paid attention in that moment and fully embraced that moment, even though it was such an ordinary moment in life. I think this is such an important conversation to have because as a fellow mom and also just as a, a human alive in this day and age, I feel like we're becoming increasingly disconnected from the moments of our lives. We're becoming constantly distracted by technology or whatever it might be. We're living in a world that is obsessed with being busy and productivity and I was reading a, a post on Facebook just a couple of days ago of a woman who said that she'd been really disconnected when her son was young and obviously looking back realizes she also had postnatal depression, but that she doesn't have those memories. She said she calls them the gray years because she was so disconnected. There was no memory making and I've never thought about mindfulness and memories, but wow, that to me is a real aha moment. Like, whoa, if you want to remember your life, you have to be present in it. Mm, exactly. Exactly. And my fear is these kids that are growing up with the phone and the technology, it's like they're not paying attention. They're going to have zero childhood memories because they're not present. I mean, I just see my own kids. I have teenagers and and they're constantly on their phone and disconnected. And they're not going to remember what was posted on social media, you know, 10 years from now. But oh, God help us all. I don't know. Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh. Spread, spread the mindfulness words, everyone. Spread the mindfulness words. Right. Our culture is really craving this kind of balance because that's why I think mindfulness is becoming more popular than ever before because we really need this balance in our lives. And especially with the way the country is going and, you know, just in terms of the divisiveness and the anger and the, all, all of that, it's just weighing on us. I mean, I don't know about you, but I feel so much more anxiety than I used to because of the news and social media and everything that's distracting me. It just brings anxiety and it's not about getting rid of anxiety because, again, mindfulness is about being with what is, but just acknowledging it, allowing for it to be there and feeling it, 
but doing things so you don't get to that state to begin with, you know, by shutting off the phone, by shutting off the news, by shutting off these things. And our brains are physically addicted to these things. I mean, I struggle with it all the time and I'm aware of all of these issues and I still have trouble shutting my phone off or shutting the news off in the car because I'm just addicted to what's going on. Our brains are addicted to drama. Mm, I'm just, I'm going to, I'm going to leave this interview just remembering that point that so many of us are missing out on our lives because we're addicted to, like you said, the drama or living not in the moment to being somewhere else in our heads. I want to talk about that point you made that when you were writing your book, that you got sucked in to to <laughs> missing the moment a little bit and had to bring yourself back. Can we talk about your experience of writing Mindful is the New Skinny? Absolutely. Um, it's interesting because I literally thought, and I don't know why I thought this, I think in life things have just come easy for me. I'm lucky enough to be one of those people. And a colleague had told me when I decided to write a book that it was the most, it was the hardest thing that she's ever done. And I just looked at her like, yeah, right. It's not going to be that way for me. <laughs> like, I don't know what you went through, but I'm going to write mine in three months. I had all these ideas of what I thought it was going to be. I'm just going to write down. I had a mindfulness boot camp at the time and I had this great outline for the six week program that I was running. And I was like, I'm just going to write out the outline and I'm going to have a book. So I was very optimistic, right? Here we are three years later and my book was literally released yesterday. Yay. But- can we just stop there and celebrate that? So everyone, you can go and get copy now and it will be delivered in a couple of days. Thanks, Amazon. Yes, exactly. So I really thought it wasn't going to be a big deal, but it was a very stressful process. And I'm not discouraging people from doing that if they have a book idea, because this was just my process. I self-published the book and I was told that this was a very simple, easy way to go. But I think when you hire people that are recommended to you, there's different, different ways of being, there's different ways of working, there's different obstacles that come up when you're dealing with technology, because in the book, I also have a QR codes in the book where they can scan and be linked to visualizations and meditations and a whole resource area. So that added on a whole nother element to the book. I think that that is so cool though, Jodi. I love the way you have an interactive book where I can immediately go to the meditation that you're mentioning. Yes. So I thought that was the coolest thing, but it, it added another element and delayed the whole process. But basically when you're putting yourself out there into the world, it's hard. As you probably know from what you do, it's difficult. And I was being perfectionistic. I was beating myself up. I was stressed out. I wasn't spending time with my family. And then I realized the irony of writing a book on stress and anxiety when I was experiencing so much stress and anxiety. So I, once I noticed that, that I was falling into that default programming, I just smiled. I didn't beat myself up over it. It was like an aha moment for me. I had an epiphany and I realized I needed to regroup. So I literally took a step back and stopped working on the book for, I think it was a week um, until I got, at first I was like, I'm done. I'm, I'm, I'm not going on with it. It took a week until I was able to regroup, but I started to let go of the outcome And I realized I'm going to do the best I can. I'm going to do my personal best, but then I'm going to let everything else go. And it doesn't matter how many people buy the book, how many people read the book, what what the cover looks like. One of the women I was working with said to me, Jody, there's no perfect book. There's no perfect cover. There's no perfect chapter because I was getting caught up in this perfection and it was taking me so long. I was redoing things over and over and over And listen, we all want to put ourselves out there in the best possible light, but then there comes a time where you need to just let go. So I let go. I became non-attached. I did the best that I could and I showed myself compassion. And when I spoke to another colleague of mine who had written a book too, she said to me, writing a book is hard. It's okay to feel this way. Have some compassion for yourself. And once that, 
which is, I, I, I looked at her, I'm like, oh my God, really? It was, she was like throwing my own ideas back into my face. That's, that's why I'm chuckling. Course, I just, right. I just love the way you of get that course. message from someone else, your own message delivered back to you right when you need to hear it. Right. It was like the energy of the book was coming alive. <laughs> and even though I knew very well all the material that I was teaching, it took this whole experience for me to actually embody it all. Because when life is good and calm, that's great. It was easy to not beat myself up. It was easy to not be perfectionistic. But in a challenge is when you have to really use this material. And it, I think it was a blessing because it gave me a chance to really integrate this material into my being. So the book became a lesson for myself. And once I realized that, you know, that the universe was giving me these lessons through my own book. I, I thought it was amazing to have to be honest. Yeah. I love the way you can, you can know it, but like you said, to really integrate it and live it in the times when it's hardest to live it. I'm sure that makes such a huge difference. I want to ask you, Jody, the questions I ask everyone now, are you ready? Yes. Okay. I'm ready. Are you a morning person or a night person? Well, I can say definitively, I am definitely not a morning person. Oh, I, so. I, I, you know, every time someone says they're a morning person, and if you've been a long time listener of Here to Thrive, you will hear me react with this kind of like, oh, gasp, every time everyone says they're a morning person, I am absolutely a night person. So you feel me, Jody? I, I'm with you. I mean, I think we were texting late last night or the other night. I was like, oh, I guess she's a night person too. Because... Outrageously late people, like, <laughs> yeah, like way past most people's bedtimes. And I was shocked when I came back to my phone and I was like, oh, Jody messaged me her photo. That is amazing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, typically I'm not even up that late. I try not to stay up that late because I want to be a morning person, but the reality is I, I just love to sleep. So yeah, I wish I could be a morning person because I would get so many more things done if I could wake up and earlier and meditate and w work out earlier and do all of these things. But it's just going so far against the grain for me that I, I learned to just, it is what it is. To you let know? it be. So when do you meditate if you get meditation in during your day? I meditate after breakfast. I feel like I need food first thing in the morning. I have low blood sugar. If I tried to meditate before breakfast, I might get dizzy and fall down. I don't know. So I literally eat my breakfast and then I digest and meditate. And then I like to exercise. So that is sort of my routine. So it gives my body some time to digest before I work out. Mm, I meditate in the evenings. So I found that works for me with my kids, not right before bed, but sort of right after their bedtime is when I meditate. Oh, that's good. It's whatever works for yeah, people. Yeah, right. Mm. What is currently sitting on your nightstand? Can you remember? Yes. The book that I'm currently reading you mean book wise, correct? Well, just whatever's on your nightstand. Do you have, oh, do you have I your have cell phone by your bed? <laughs> <laughs> do I have a cell phone by my bed? Yes. I, you know, it's funny because I've tried so hard. I'm going to charge it in the closet. I'm going to charge it downstairs. I, I do have my cell phone by my bed. I do put it on airplane mode before I go to sleep. So that Wi-Fi radiation purposes and also to obviously not be disturbed. That's but, a good point. I don't put mine on airplane mode before I go to sleep that I might need to start doing that. Yes, because it's not great to sleep with the phone so close to you at night. We want to kind of limit that radiation exposure or the Wi-Fi, electro, whatever currents are happening. So, yes. Yeah, so I put it on um, airplane mode. What else is on my nightstand? I have my eye drops because my eyes get watery. I mean, get dry when I wake up. So I have that there. And I have a book. You can what tell else? us what the book is. Okay. I am reading Pema Chodron. I hope oh, I said that right. Yes. I know I know who, who you're talking about. The Buddhist nun. And she, I, I love her books, but I'm reading right now The Wisdom of No Escape which is all, I guess, about not escaping what's happening in our lives and being present with it. I think she wrote this book. I think that it's really a collection of a retreat that she did. So uh, it's a collection of Dharma talks of, of a long retreat that she did up at her. I think she's at Gampo Abbey, her meditation retreat center. So 
Yeah, it's interesting. So they're very short passages, and each one is one of her talks each day of the retreat. So I enjoy. I'm enjoying that. I'm I'm doing some more deeper meditation instruction with a meditation instructor, and we're reading that together and discussing it. And I'm getting deeper into my meditation practice. So nice. That sounds exciting. Yay! <laughs> What's your favorite self care activity, Jody? My favorite self, well, I don't want to say meditation because I feel like that's cliche at this point, but, and it's not that I love doing it. I feel like I do need to do it, but my favorite, ah, is playing tennis a self-care activity? It can totally be a self-care activity. Okay. Because I don't know if that's really care. I mean, it's enjoyment, I guess, right? Yes, so it's that's taking what self-care is for me. And it's caring for myself. I do enjoy tennis and yoga. So that with exercise, I think, are my favorite self-care activities. Do you have a favorite book, Jody, over all of your years? That's a hard one. Right? I know. It's a really that hard question. That is a really hard one. I mean, I, I'm partial to Brene Brown. I love her books, The Gifts of Imperfection and Daring Greatly and her latest one, Braving the Wilderness. I love all of her books. I just love the way she writes and her tone and I can relate to her. Um, and what else? You are a badass. I love Jen Sincero. Have you read that one? I have. I have read You Are a Badass. And I'm going to admit that I read it because everybody else was. So I wanted to see what all the hype was about. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I you know, it wasn't like my favorite book in the world, but I just it, the tone and, yes. it, you know, I recommend it to a lot of my skeptical clients because it it's very relatable in a lot of ways. I was going to say, what I love about Jen Sincero's book, if you haven't read it yet, it is super approachable. It's such a... If you, you don't mind cursing. Yes, <laughs> it's really fun and it's not lighthearted because like obviously there's some really strong life lessons in there, but it's a very easy kind of enjoyable read. But I am with you on The Gifts of Imperfection by Brene Brown. Still, it's in my top four favorite books of all time. And I love Dan Harris's book. Did you read 10% Happier? I haven't read 10% Happier. Oh, I love that book. I read it on vacation and I must have been sitting in my lounge chair smiling the whole time. I think I was smiling because he talks about how he got into his meditation journey or mindfulness journey. And he was saying how he was interviewing, you know, he worked for Peter Jennings and under Peter Jennings, and he was covering the Iraq war. And he talks about his breakdown that he had on Good Morning America. So it was very interesting from that news perspective on how the news industry works and how he was working. And, and then he was told to interview evangelicals. And then he was interviewing Eckhart Tolle or Eckhart Tolle. I always mess his name up. Well, so Oprah says Tolle. So I'm with Tolle. Okay. Because he's I'm one of my favorites. I'm with you and Oprah. Yeah, because so, well, uh, she's met him. So I'm assuming that if she's talking to him and she says Tolle, it must be Tolle. Uh, makes perfect sense. So, <laughs> so he interviews Eckhart Tolle and Deepak Chopra. And then he goes and interviews Joseph Goldstein and Mark Epstein. And, 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 and it, it just talks about all these people that I've read and I've followed. And I, I just smiled the whole time. It was just very interesting to me. And it's a great book. It's for meditation for fidgety skeptics. So I recommend it to a lot of men who are skeptical of mindfulness and meditation and people who are just first start starting to learn about it because he's, he's super relatable. I mean, he's your regular guy and he talks about listening to the asshole inside his head. Um, oh, so good. You know, as the voice. I mean, he's funny. I've seen him speak too. I, do you have a favorite long road or life lesson that took you a long while to learn, Jody? When you look back, you're like, huh, didn't get that one right away. I would have to say letting go. I, I still struggle with it, but it's much faster now. I'm able to let feel things and let them go. And meditation has obviously been a huge factor in that. But I remember when I was younger, my mother would say, Jody, you just stick the knife in and you keep turning it, which is not a great <laughs> analogy, but you know, it's not a great example, but, but she, that's how she felt. Like I would not let things go. I would bother her and bother her and bother her until I got my way. And I have definitely 
changed a lot of that behavior over the course of time, but it definitely took me a while. But I've had to let go of a lot of things in life. And once you can let go, your psychological flexibility or your adaptability is what brings you contentment in life. So that was a huge lesson that I had to learn and I'm still working on it, but I would say letting go is huge. Mm, the only constant in life is change, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Everything is temporary. Everything changes. We can't get too caught up on the pleasure and the happiness and too caught up in the pain because it's and the sadness because it's going to, it's going to pass. You know, talking about that lesson of non-attachment, it really was something that was brought home to me when I lost a very meaningful piece of jewelry a few years back. Uh, I would say at least five years ago. And I was so upset. And then through this week of kind of being so upset about losing this thing, I really feel like I fast forwarded my learning of the lesson of non-attachment because now I feel like I do have a different level of attachment to things. And Mm. I know that sounds really silly. I lost this meaningful piece of jewelry, but I feel like today, if I were to lose a meaningful piece of jewelry, I would really let go of that very quickly in a much different way that I wasn't able to do five years ago. Wow. That's, that's amazing because that can be a very, obviously a very upsetting thing. I mean, I'm still, I'm kind of struggling with the fact that I just lost my earbuds. (laughs) (laughs) You're a little attached to your earbuds. (laughs) Well, the AirPods or whatever they are, those things that come in the floss container, it looks like a floss you know, the Bluetooth, um, earbuds. Are they the ones that come with the iPhone these days? I've still got an old iPhone. No, it's, it's like you have to order them and they're, you know, they just go in your ear and they're not, they're not attached. (laughs) 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 There's no cord. So I like them because they're not attached, but, um, Oh, I think I just made a joke, but (laughs) anyway, I lost them and I'm going crazy looking for them, but you know what? It's just a thing. I need to move on and just, realize that they're gone but a piece of jewelry that's tough I it mean, was really if tough it's sentimental and meaningful it was absolutely. really tough and and then I was kicking myself for not having insured but it's the sentimental aspect right but you know this life all of it it's all temporary we're not right. taking any of the stuff with us people exactly so exactly. what is one thing in your day you can't do without Jody? <laughs> one thing in my day I can't do without I want to say sleep, but I think everybody can't do without that. But I love my bed and it's my happy place and I feel safe there. I don't know. I just, I really love sleep. And if I have a hard day and I'm exhausted, I feel like I can retreat to that place and just be with myself. When you've had a hard day and you are contemplating sleep, is there something about your own bed or do you look forward to sleep in like any hotel room? Is there something extra special about your own bed? I think so. I think so. Because I don't know, I have this nice fluffy down comforter and I have this neck pillow that I love and I have set myself up nicely. I have a eye pillow it feels like a pampering experience. I think you we know, should all make sleep feel like a pampering experience. I, I have like a spray, like a lavender spray, and I have my my oil diffuser next to the bed and a salt lamp. I just feel it made that sort of a nice place for myself. I think we all need to follow your lead because it sounds like your bedroom sounds like a spa. So I actually have always said, because I too am like Jodi and sleep I've considered a hobby of mine. And I do things like that. I do not scrimp on bedding and I buy the best bedding and I secret about me. I always have to have white duvets. I have four dogs and I have white bedding. Um, I have multiple white duvet covers so that they can go through the wash frequently. But for me, I agree. There's something about creating a sanctuary and I Mm -hmm. love it. I love, love it. So I might have to get some of this uh, lavender spray though. That sounds pretty good. Yeah, no, it's just, you know, the aromatherapy and the oils and, and it just makes you feel relaxed. And at the end of the long day, it's really kind of nice. Okay, now I have some hard questions for you, such as how would you describe the soul, Jody? 
I feel the soul is your true self. It's not ego involved. It's not defensive. It's not competitive. It's really, to me, your soul is your true self. So when you get out of your head and you're thinking and you're just sort of observing who you really are and you're listening to your inner wisdom and it's your higher self, I, I think it's your higher self. And it's the one that travels with you if you believe in many lives, right? It's just the essence of who you are. So not the noisy thoughts, the person, no, well, that, that, the, not. the being behind the thoughts. <laughs> I like that. Definitely not. There's no ego there. What is fulfillment to you? Fulfillment to me, and this took me a while to get to, but to me, it's about being content with whatever I already have or have already done. Mm, it's it's yeah. good. You like that? Yeah. Being content with what you already have or what you have already done. So rather than constantly looking to not being Strive enough. for more. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. oh. And my husband used to say to me, he said, you know, before I found my practice and before, when, when my kids were little, you know, I wasn't working. I mean, I was dabbling here or there with a few clients, but I, I just felt like I needed more. I wasn't content. And he's, he said to me, you're always searching for something. You're always looking for something or looking for more. And that really hit me. And, and I wish now I could kind of look back and just be content with my kids at that time and just love them up and enjoy them and enjoy that time because I eventually did get to really make my mark in the world and find my purpose and all of that. But I wish I could have just been happy then with just how it was at that point with my kids and not working. You know, being happy and fulfill fulfillment is really being happy with where you already are. Right. What I'm happy, what I'm hearing is being happy in the moment, really linking it back to that mindfulness idea right, all gratitude, over again. Right. Yep. I feel like so many people need to hear what you just said there. I can think of a couple of my girlfriends right now uh, who are at home with small children who need mm -hmm. to be reminded of that very message. Like you said, I did go on and I have done all these things, but in that moment didn't need to be so impatient. Right. It's like when you want to get married, right? You can't enjoy the single life so much because you're looking for a mate or whatever. And I wish I could have just enjoyed that too, right? Because it was such a fun time in my life, but I was so preoccupied with finding a mate and finding a partner. And that's what everyone was talking about and boyfriends and this and that, instead of being just out there and enjoying yourself. And then we have kids and we want to work and we want to do more and we want to, you know, have a purpose when just enjoy the kids and raising them. And if you're fortunate enough not to work, I mean, I remember saying this to my brother, he's always had a business and he came to New York. He lives in LA, came to New York to visit me. And we were sitting outside, I think it was Dean and DeLuca. And he he was saying to me, how are you? What's going on? And I said, you know, I love having my kids, but I want more. I, I want to work. I want to find something. And at the time I was fortunate enough that I didn't have to work. My husband was able to support us and I didn't have to work, but I wanted to, because I wanted to have a meaningful contribution to the world. And I wanted to follow my passion and all of that stuff we always wanted to. So he looked at me and then he looked out all the people on the street in New York city rushing by and he said to me, do you see all those people? And I said, yes. And he said, they all want to be you, mm. you know, and that really hit me. That really, that did it for me. And I was able to shift into a little bit more contentment and realize how fortunate I was, right? The grass is always greener. We want something different. We want something more. And I, and I just sat there and I said, you're absolutely right. I need to just be content with how fortunate and lucky I am and just appreciate what I have. Yeah, I, I, oh, such a good message, Jody. such a good message. Okay, so I want to ask you just a couple more questions before we wrap up today. Spirituality and mindfulness, do you see them as separate things or are they one and the same? Well, they're, they're related, <laughs> but they're not the same. You're familiar with John Kabat-Zinn, correct? Yes, I am. Okay, so he was sort of like the father of mindfulness and he's a 
microbiologist, I believe, who went to, I'm just saying this for the, re, the listeners who may not know, went to the East and studied spirituality and Buddhism and then brought mindfulness back to the West, our culture, so we can integrate it. But he he did not think that we would go for this Buddhist woo-woo stuff. So he really secularized mm -hmm. and scientifically proved that this mindfulness works. So in mindfulness-based stress reduction, which is his, his program, it really isn't so spiritual per se, or it's spiritual without people knowing that it's spiritual. Mm. Do you feel like if you practice mindfulness, you inevitably touch a part of yourself that you weren't in touch with before that soul part you could say mm -hmm, absolutely you get to know yourself and you get to be friendly with yourself you get to be friends with yourself all these concepts are spiritual so when I was doing the mindfulness-based stress reduction courses and did it at Omega and then I did the other eight-week course I didn't even realize I was entering spirituality so much. And then when I started studying more spirituality and I started, started studying more Buddhist meditation, which is what I'm doing now, the concepts are the same. Mm. <laughs> so they are related, but I think that so many people are scared off by the word spirituality and they don't know what it is, or maybe they think it's they're joining a cult or another religion or something, that mindfulness is a much safer word. But through mindfulness, you are becoming more spiritual, if that makes sense. It totally makes sense to me. And I agree with your take on it, that people are maybe scared off by that word spirituality. What I would say is something like mindfulness and meditation. It, it's just, I define spirituality as getting in touch with yourself and the feeling that there is more to life. So right. I think a lot of people equate that word with really new age stuff and it doesn't need to be. So you can Not be at all. Yeah, right. you, you can be any religion and be spiritually in touch with yourself. And alternatively, you can be no religion and, and still have that sense of connection. But you can also be religious and have no sense of connection to yourself or spirituality, in my opinion. <laughs> Yes. No, absolutely. Well, I heard this once that religion divides us because we all have different religions and different ways of thinking, but it really is all based in the same thing, right? But spirituality unites us. Spirituality is to me also that we're all one. We are all the same. We all came from the same place. We are all interconnected. We all bleed red, right? We all want the same thing. We all want pleasure and to avoid pain. We're just all human. And if you can really realize that and be, be kind to yourself and because you're human and be kind to other people, knowing that they're just struggling too, just like you are, and maybe they do some unskillful things because they're coming from a place of pain or hurt or damage, emotional damage that they experienced when they were younger. If you can realize that and get compassion for other people in that way, you just, the anger decreases, the competitiveness decreases, you just feel more connected to the world around you. And, and I see that as really being spiritual. So agree with you. One final question. If you could just leave us with one thought today, what would it be? I'm going to leave you with a quote on the back of my book. Is that, is that okay? Yes. I hope I can remember it because I don't have it written in front of me. But a joyful life is not the result of judgment and perfection, but rather of self-compassion or compassion for yourself, for others, and for your daily experiences. Oh my my, I'm sure you heard my aha moment in there. I even went and spoke to my husband immediately after this to tell him about how much that resonated with me. The idea that mindfulness is crucial to making memories that stick and how many of us are missing our lives and we've got nothing to remember them by. That really got me and made me realize how much I don't want to bring my children up in that vein. I want to be present in my life so that I can teach them how to be present in theirs. Now, Mindful is the New Skinny it is Jody's brand new book that is 
available for purchase now. I have links in the show notes or you can head to my website thrive.howpodcast96 and you will find the links there for Jody's freebies as well as how you can purchase the book or you can head to jodybarretts.com. You can also find Jody on Instagram and Facebook at Mindful is the New Skinny. Next week, I'm messing it up a little bit and I'm going to come to you with talking about a few ways that you can make sure your career aspirations are on track. So come back if you're interested in a career conversation. Until next week, sit with this message today, take it to heart and keep thriving. <laughs>